Good morning. Thank you for this opportunity to be here together, to open the Word of God together and have God lift us up in it. As we look at Exodus chapter 18, where we're going to spend a lot of time today, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to that. We, we've walked with the people of God through this incredible book of Exodus. Uh, from a time when they were enslaved in Egypt, we've seen God deliver them in miraculous ways. Uh, we, we've seen God reach out his hand against Pharaoh, against Egypt, against all the gods of Egypt, and deliver his people in miraculous ways. We've, we've walked with them as they've encountered hunger and thirst in the wilderness, and God has provided for his people. And as we come to, to chapter 18, we, we see the people of God right at the precipice of Mount Sinai, just about to the point where Moses will ascend the mountain, sit face to face with God, receive the commandments, and return to the people with it. But we're not there yet. We're almost to that point. But here we see them encamped at a place called Rephidim, a, a place with, with a, a Hebrew word right at the root of it that, that speaks of, of support, of, of supporting and holding one another up. And in this place, we will see how God will support and lift up his people. Would you pray with me as we begin? Our Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for who you are. We are grateful for your word and how you have revealed yourself to us in it. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness as you continue to work for your glory and work on behalf of your people. Lord, we thank you for your word and how you reveal ourselves in it. God, I'm humbled to come face to face with my own weakness as I look in your word with my own brokenness. And Lord, we are so grateful for your grace. In these next minutes, Lord, as we look in your word, we pray that you will speak to us through it. That as we see you holding up your people in the wilderness in the days of old, we will rest in that. You are still holding up your people in whatever wilderness we wander. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. As we start in Exodus chapter 18, we, we see Jethro. It says in verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Right away, we see that God's fame is spreading. That Jethro, from where he is in Midian, he has heard about what God is doing. The word has traveled of what God has done to Egypt. And he comes. He comes to, to the encampment there. He comes to meet with Moses. He comes to rejoice in what God is doing. And Jethro, as he's coming, we see in those next few verses, he brings with him Zipporah, Moses' wife, and their two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. 
He brings them all back together so that they can be together as family, so that they can be together with the people of God, and so that they can all rejoice together of what Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, has heard of what God is doing. And so as they come together, it says that Jethro sent word, we see there in verse 5, Jethro sent word that he had, he had come, and in verse 6, when he had sent word, Moses went out to meet him. Verse 7 tells us that, that they meet, they bow down and kiss each other, and they ask each other of their welfare, and they go into the tent, as, as is the custom. They, they're sharing these stories. And verse 8 tells us that Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Moses gets to testify for a while. He gets to share these stories of what God has been doing for his people. And th through the past weeks, we've heard these stories. We've heard the stories of, of how God has systematically been declaring war on the false gods of Egypt and wiping them out to prove that he is God. We heard the stories of how they, they came to the Red Sea and there's this insurmountable obstacle in front of them and Moses, with the staff of God in his hand, raises it up and says, Behold the salvation of the Lord. And the waters part. And God's people pass through on dry land. We heard last week about the hunger and thirst that, that plagued them, that attacked them in the wilderness and how God had miraculously provided manna for his people to eat. How in the barrenness of the desert, Moses strikes a rock with his staff and God provides water. And I, I'm sure that one of the other things that Moses tells his father-in-law about is what just happened back in chapter 17. So if you would, let's jump back there real quick. In Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8, we hear that Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. The Amalekites came and attacked. Somehow, and I don't understand how this works out in a, in a strategic manner, somehow... The, the king of Amalek had heard how God had destroyed Egypt, had brought plagues down upon Egypt, had, had taken the most powerful military force at that time and crushed them under the waves. Amalek hears these things and somehow in his head says, all right, I'm up next. I got these guys now. Strategically, I don't understand how that works, how, how that thought process goes through his head. But we see that he does. He comes to attack. As we look in Deuteronomy chapter 1, where Moses is retelling this, we, we get another piece of it, that the Amalekites came and they flanked Israel. They attacked from behind. They attacked the weak. They attacked the sick. They attacked the stragglers. And bit by bit, were picking off the people of God. And Moses, verse 9, said to Joshua, Choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek. So that's Joshua's part. He says, choose some men to go out and fight. The rest of verse 9 says, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Again, strategically speaking, I'm not sure how all this works out. We, we don't get 
any insight here as to, as to where this strategy came from, that Moses is going to go up on top of the mountain and hold up the staff. We don't see here whether that was God's prescription for his people or if perhaps Moses has been watching God deliver again and again. The staff of God that he has is not some magic wand or anything. But Moses has been seeing that used by God again and again. As he goes before Pharaoh and and drops the staff and it becomes a snake. And we see that judgment against Pharaoh. As the staff is used in many of, of the plagues that are coming down. As that staff is held out over the Red Sea and the waters part. Maybe Moses is just looking and going, God has worked again and again, and we have just faithfully stepped into what he's called us to do, and so maybe God will do it one more time. So Moses goes up on top of the hill with the staff of God in his hand. This staff has been used in proclaiming judgment upon the enemies of God. A staff that on the flip side then has been used to proclaim blessing on the people of God. We don't know why it is that he went up there with it, but what we do see as the story progresses was that it was blessed by God, that God used this effort. Verse 10, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Somehow or other, God used this for his glory. But, verse 12 tells us, Moses' hands grew weary. You know, it doesn't seem like much, does it? That that Moses goes up and is just going to stand on top of the hill holding the staff up. It doesn't seem like much, but any of us that have tried to just hold your arms up for five minutes working over your head for something or other. It doesn't take very long for that to be very wearisome. And Moses grew weary. But praise be to God, Moses wasn't up on that hill alone. They, Aaron and Hur, took a stone, put it under him. He sat down on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. This has got to be another one of those things that Moses is telling his father-in-law Jethro as they sit in in the tent together. As he's saying, you've heard about what God's doing. Let me tell you about what just happened with us. We were attacked from behind. They were picking us off and... Joshua went out to, with a sword, and I went up the hill, and God did something incredible. I think that's got to be one of the things that he told him. So as we flip back to Exodus 18, we pick up that story that Moses has been telling him. All that God did against Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, the hardship that had come upon them, and how the Lord had delivered them. Verse 9 says, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done for Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro rejoiced. What we have here in this little, little moment between chapter 17 and 18 is kind of a turning point in the book. 
As, as we've looked through the book of Exodus so far, I said we've, we've been walking with the people of God. As we've seen all of these different attacks, we've seen Egypt has taken them slaves. We've seen that Pharaoh refused to let them go. We've seen God confronting Pharaoh as Pharaoh is attacking Egypt. We see the hunger and the thirst and, and the idea that they're going to die in the wilderness. And, and this attack that has come by hunger and God has delivered them. We've seen how Amalek came and was picking them off and God has delivered them. And we've seen all these external attacks happening. And what we see now in this turning of the book is those external attacks that we've been walking through are done for this section. As we continue through the book of Exodus, we're going to see God delivering his law. We're going to see God showing people how it is to live in conjunction with him and what he is calling them to. We're seeing the attacks of our own selfishness, those internal attacks of our own sinfulness, those internal attacks of our fear and our doubt. And how just as God did with all those external attacks that were coming and he delivered his people, we're saying, will God deliver us from these internal attacks? The ones that are coming from my own sin nature. I want to see God continue to be faithful. This is that turning point. Throughout the rest of the book of Exodus, we see those external attacks have been abated for now. And we're looking at what's happening inside. And so we see, as we come to verse 10, where Jethro has heard all these things. Verse 9 tells us he has rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done for Israel. And so verse 10, we see Jethro blessed the Lord. Who is Jethro said to Moses, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and delivered you from the people, from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this, affair, in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat the bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. We see here Jethro leading this worship service. Jethro is leading this time of praise as he's heard what God is doing. Moses has been able to testify, and now Jethro is doing the same. He utters a blessing. Blessed be the Lord who's delivered you. He offers a testimony that he has just heard. Who has delivered you out of the hand of Egypt, out of the hand of Pharaoh, has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. The hand, the hand, the hand. We're seeing all this power that has been mounted up against Israel. And Jethro is testifying that God has done a great work to deliver his people. And Jethro speaks this word of testimony in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And he brings sacrifice and he brings offering. And Jethro, this priest from Midian, this outsider who has come, is declaring the praises of the Lord and leading this worship service as they celebrate all that God has been doing in their lives. It's this incredible, joyous occasion. Verse 13, we see a quick transition. The next day, 
The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. The next day, this happened. The next day, after Moses has declared all that God has been doing to Jethro. The next day, after Jethro has been echoing all that God has been doing. The next day, after this incredible worship service where God is glorified for what he is doing. The next day... Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. We see Moses going about with what he's been doing. Verse 14 says, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this you were doing for the people? Not maybe the question we'd expect. Because when Jethro came, he'd been hearing all this great stuff, and, and it, was a, it was a joyous occasion. Here, Jethro sees this and says, what is this you are doing? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses, what are you doing here? And Moses answers him in verse 15. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another and make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses answers him, this is what we do. The people come, and I do what I'm supposed to do. The people come, and I judge. The people come, and I teach. The people come, and, and I help. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you were doing is not good. That's got to sit kind of heavy. I mean, if we think back to the whole creation idea that we've been walking through and seeing as God creates things and places things in order, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then all of a sudden we see that God looked and saw man was alone. He said, it is not good. And God did something about that here Jethro is looking at what Moses is doing and says, it is not good. Verse 18, he said, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. So Jethro sees this thing happening. And he calls Moses to account for it. Interesting, the, the difference between these two, the, the day before the worship service and, and this next day with Moses sitting there judging. And if you even look at the way it's said, back in verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done for Israel. Jethro looked at what the Lord had done for Israel and he rejoiced. In verse 14, we see that he saw all that he, Moses, was doing for the people. And he says, what are you doing? He saw everything that the Lord had been doing, and he rejoiced. And then he saw all that Moses is doing. He says, what are you doing? This is not good. Where does this spiritual burnout come from? I mean, Moses is here. He's doing what, what he's been called to do, right? The people come, 
And I do, he says. The people come, and I judge between one person and another. The people come, and I make known to them the statutes of God. The people come, and I make known to them God's laws. And Jethro says it's not good. Interesting. Verse 19, he says he's going to give him advice, and God be with you, he says. Now be Pay close attention here to what Jethro does not say as he's giving advice, right? What Jethro does not say is, who are you to be judging the people? Who are you to just stand up there and and teach the statutes and laws of God? What Jethro does not say is, let the people figure it out for themselves. They got themselves into this mess. Let them just try and get themselves out of it. What Jethro does not say is abandon what you're doing. Go on to different things. Jethro doesn't say any of that. Back to verse 19, Jethro says, I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them of the statutes and laws and make them known in the way in which they must walk and what they must do. He says, this is actually a good thing. Keep doing what you're doing. Verse 21 says, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and this people also will go to their place in peace. Jethro doesn't tell him to turn course. Jethro doesn't tell him to abandon the people and let them just figure it out for themselves. Jethro doesn't tell them to just follow their hearts and everything will turn out right. Jethro says, no, what you're doing is is good. Teach the people, but don't do it alone. It's too much. It's too much. As we look at just the rest of that passage, Moses listened to the voice of his father, his father-in-law, excuse me. He did all that he said. He found people, he put them in places. In verse 27, Moses let his father-in-law depart and they went away And he went away to his own country. As we look at these two stories together, one where where God is defending his people from an outside attack and is miraculously delivering them, and then one where where God is defending his people from an internal attack. How, How does Moses get into this place where he's judging day, morning, till night? I don't think Moses ever went into that by saying, you know what, I'm going to be the only voice of people here. I'm going to be the one to tell them what's right and wrong. I'm going to be the one to be the deciding factor. I don't think Moses came into any of it with any of that pride. I think there was this thing of Moses saw this need, this crushing, pressing need, and he was doing what he, what he knew God had called him to do. But somewhere along the path, and we can probably all relate to this idea, somewhere along the path, 
it seems like Moses' focus had gone from God who called him to the work that God was asking him to do. The priorities may have shifted in there somewhere, that his focus was on the people and the people coming and what the people need and, and wasn't thinking about what God was doing. And so Jethro came and spoke some hard advice, some hard counsel, some hard accountability into his life and said, this is okay. This is good that you're doing this, but you can't do it alone. And that is one of the big things we need to take from this. That I don't know what it is God has called you to. And God has called you to something. But you can't do it alone. Joshua took a, a group out to fight against the Amalekites. But he couldn't do it alone. Moses was up on the hill, and whenever the staff was raised, they were winning. Whenever the staff was lowered, they were being defeated. And so it wasn't just the sword in Joshua's hand. He couldn't do it alone. But Moses was on the hill, and Moses was tired. Anybody ever felt just flat out tired? If you say no, I think you're lying to me. Moses couldn't do it. Moses couldn't even hold his hand up alone. You can't do it alone. The flip side of that same coin, though, is that those around you also can't do it alone. See, we can get so, so focused on how hard things are for me that I stop looking at what's going on with others. The, the whole idea of community can easily become about what I can get from it, what I can take, what help I can gather, what, what words of encouragement I can have spoken to me, and we forget to look at others and see that you can't do it alone just like I can't do it alone. And we were never called to do it alone. Brothers and sisters around you are tired as well. And just as, as Paul spoke to the church in Galatians, we are called to bear one another's burdens. The man that God had called to lead his people, he was tired, he was worn out. And he needed those around him to support him. Now thirdly, if those are the two sides of that same coin, here's the coin itself. This is God's work. You know, we can, we can talk about how we need one another, and we do need one another. But this is God's work. After Joshua defeats the Amalekites, we're looking back in, in 17. Chapter 17, verse 13 said, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And in verse 14, we, we see this, that the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. And what he writes in that book, what he recites in the ears of Joshua is not, Joshua has done a great thing. It's not, Moses has done a great thing in leading his people. It's not even, Joshua and Moses worked together and did a great thing. What he writes 
is that God himself will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses builds an altar and calls the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. Saying that God is the one who is in this fight. God is the one who is leading his people. God is the one who is doing the fighting for his people. God didn't need Joshua and all those people with swords down in the valley. God didn't need Moses and Aaron and her up on the hill. And yet somehow, God delights in inviting us into the work that he is doing. Somehow, even though God didn't need Joshua and all the fighters, and God didn't need Moses with the staff in his hand, yet God used them for his glory. It's humbling to think. God doesn't need me. It's humbling to think as we're striving to to raise families well, as we're striving to work hard for God's glory, as we're striving to, to live the life that God has called us to live, that God doesn't need any of us. And yet, it is awe-inspiring to think that even though he doesn't need us, he calls us. He lovingly calls us to come alongside him. It's just another display of his incredible grace. As we look at that idea that this is God's fight, I can't help but look at Moses and see this picture of Jesus. One who some 1,500 years later is going to climb up a hill carrying this chunk of wood. This chunk of wood that is going to proclaim judgment. And that Jesus himself, the greater Moses, is going to take that judgment upon himself for his people. That he will fight that battle against our greatest enemies of sin and death. And that Jesus will not fail. So whether it be attacks from the outside, attacks from the Amalekites, or attacks from your own temptations, attacks from weariness, and and as the people went through hunger and thirst, God is willing and able to deliver his people. He is in control or whether it be from attacks within and our own selfishness and our own sinfulness, God is willing and able to deliver his people and he is in control. Our Father, we are grateful. We are so grateful for your goodness. Lord, we, we are thankful that you are never weary. You are never worn out. God, we so often are just tired. We don't feel we can fight anymore. Lord, we ask that you open up our eyes to, to know that truth. 
that we cannot do it on our own. We ask that you open up our eyes to see those around us who are struggling and to join alongside and support them. And we ask, Lord, that you would overwhelm us with your grace and your truth, that you are in control and you are fighting these battles. And we thank you, Lord, that you call us, you invite us to come alongside you, that we can see all that you are doing for your people and we can rejoice. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.